we all want what is better. Right? We all and you deserve what's better. <laughs> Doggone it, you're an American. You should get the best, right? What's better? Sam Sam's Club or Costco, right? What's better? Uh, you know, we've all got we're very careful, right? We work very hard to find out what's better. There's there's all sorts of websites devoted to the top ten, what's the best, what's our, our you know, our team of experts looked at all of the options and we recommend this or that. We all want to know what's better. We we want what's better. That's that's good. That's okay. What's better is better. But when that translates over into the Christian world, it gets a little bit more dicey. See, which one's better for you of, you know, your favorite fast food restaurant or your favorite hot sauce or your favorite chip or your favorite kind of meat? That's whatever. That's fine. But when we bring that kind of spirit and that kind of attitude into the religious world, into the church world, it becomes a little more challenging. Because what are the values that I use to make my decisions about what's better in my life? I like it more. It's bigger or it's brighter. It's louder. It's quieter. It's slower. It's faster. It's funnier. It's more serious. There's all sorts of different criteria and values that we use to decide whether something is better or not so good. This is the kind of situation that Paul is facing here at Corinth. I just want to remind you of the context as we go into our passage this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. 2 Corinthians. Let me, get, let me get over to 2 Corinthians this morning. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. Paul says, Indeed, I consider I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. So there's people proclaiming themselves to be super apostles who are saying that they're better than Paul. In verse 12 of chapter 11, Paul says, What I'm doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. They're saying, we're at least as good as Paul. Our mission is at least as important as Paul's is. And he says all this again in chapter 12 just after our passage is done. He says in verse 11, I have been a fool, you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. So again, Paul's dealing with people who are claiming that they are superior to him. They're super apostles. Maybe he's an apostle, but he's a regular apostle. And they're superior to him. And now, here's the fundamental tension, the fundamental question that Paul's wrestling with, that the Corinthian church is wrestling with. And I I want you to wrestle with this as we get, get into our passage this morning. Is this true? That God uses strong, gifted leaders with ambition and drive to work powerfully for Christ. God uses strong, gifted leaders with ambition and drive to work powerfully for Christ. That's, that's kind of the issue. That's the, that's the question that Paul's wrestling with on, for the sake of the Corinthians. And Paul's contention is that he's better. He says, I'm the superior servant of Christ. I am a real apostle. I'm the superior servant of Christ. I'm the real apostle. That's the main point of this section for the Corinthian church. Paul's trying to convince them over the course of these many verses 
that he's better. He wants their respect. He wants them to give him their attention and their love, their affection. But now should they? Should they give him their respect, their honor, their attention, their affection? Should they give him those things? Is he actually better? How would we even know? Right? Is he louder or quieter? Is he slower or faster? Is he brighter or duller? Is he smarter or more plain spoken? How do we even know? What are the marks of a real servant of Jesus? What are the marks of a powerful servant of Jesus? And so Paul spends most of this passage boasting. And I know we've talked about this before. Kids, you're not supposed to boast, right? But here the apostle is boasting. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 23. You see what Paul says here? He says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. So Paul knows that he's, he's doing something a little bit odd here. But he's saying, I'm a better servant of Christ. That's what he wants the Corinthians to hear. He says, I'm a better servant of Christ, but his boasts are strange. In chapter 11, verse 30, he says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. That is not typically what we think of as boasting, is it? If you were going to say, like, you got five minutes and I want you to boast, you would think, okay, what's my, right, kind of rehash my, my um, resume and my... Uh, what are my accomplishments? What have I done? Oh, okay, and you would, try to, you would try to present those things. You say, I would boast in my strengths. Paul boasts in his weaknesses. And there's really three sections of this. First of all, let's go back to chapter 11, verse 16 to 21. Here's kind of the int uh, introduction to the section of three sections of boasting. And it's really interesting. It, it seems very clear that Paul doesn't kind of, he doesn't want to do this. He actually thinks it's kind of silly. And so he's going to do it in a way that's actually mocking his opponents. See if you can notice some of this stuff. He says in verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Right? So he's trying to kind of differentiate here. He says, I, I kind of know that what I'm doing is not really great. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, since you're so wise yourself. What's that called? Sarcasm, right? So Paul's being sarcastic. He's, he's making fun of the Corinthians and these other super apostles and their whole, their whole value system. Verse 20, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, devours you, takes advantage of you, puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. More sarcasm, right? So he's clearly uncomfortable with what he's about to do, and he's making fun of the other, these, these super apostles. He's making fun of them, but he's, he's going to, in classic Pauline way, he's going to mock them and, and, and do this, but he, he's going to reveal some really deep and important a lesson. In fact, towards the end of this passage, we have a verse that many think is really the climactic verse, the main, the, the thrust of the whole of 2 Corinthians in one single verse. But let's look at Paul's boasts. The first are there in verses 22 to 29. Let's read through these as we go. And I want you to try to hear them with fresh ears, what, what Paul's actually saying here. All right, so verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. 
Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. People died when that was administered to them. That was not an uncommon thing. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's from the hands of the Romans. That's their official punishment. Once, uh, th- by the way, that's like a, being beaten with a baseball bat. They were, they were beaten with, with long, thin elm. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. In danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? So what's his boast here? His boast is, I have suffered so much. I'm in constant danger. I've made what appears to normal people to be a lot of mistakes, and I live with constant anxiety. I think you should listen to me. Right? Is that a TED Talk you want to watch? Hey, I'm going to stand here before you this morning. I feel like I'm in constant, constant danger. I've suffered a lot. I've made a ton of mistakes, and I'm just anxious all the time. You want to hear that guy's story? Right? Hard pass. I want to hear a vision. I want to hear stories of success. Tell me how you did it. So here's Paul's first boast. I suffered a lot. I was in constant danger. I made what appears to be certainly a lot of mistakes. I mean, you don't end up in three shipwrecks, three shipwrecks, spending a night and day out in the ocean, like through great planning and decisions. Why are you traveling through that area where the robbers are, Paul? Why are you constantly making yourself a pain in everybody's hind end, Paul? Right? Can you... Not take a hint? Paul's saying, here's my first boast. I've done all this stuff, and I think you should listen to me. I think I'm a, this makes me a better servant of Jesus. Here's his second boast, and this one's kind of interesting. Let's look at verses uh, 31 to 33. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. Now, that's what's called in the, in the ancient world an oath. right? You're swearing an oath. I'm, I'm putting my hand on the Bible, so to speak, that what I'm about to tell you is true. Now, what he's about to tell us, though, is interesting. At Damascus, the governor under, under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Here's Paul's second boast. He's saying, at the beginning of, the, of my ministry, I want to let you know what my character was like at the very beginning of my ministry. When the going, get tough, when the going got tough, I hid and ran. So he's, he makes this big oath, kind of uh, to be funny. Like, oh, I swear, I'm not telling a lie. And then he goes on and tells about how he demonstrated the exact opposite of the noble character of the Roman world. Right? The most noble people in the Roman world were the soldier who first went up the wall, who ascended the wall of the city to take it. Right? That was the, the, the ideal. And Paul says, I did the exact opposite. When the going got tough... I ran and hid. And you should listen to me, therefore, Corinthian church. And here's his third boast, verses 1 to 9 of chapter 12. 
He says, I must go on boasting, though there's nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, I want you to listen. So Paul supposedly here is describing how he had this vision and revelation from the Lord. But does it seem like he's comfortable talking about it? Does it seem like, do you even have an idea what he learned there or, or how long it went or right? what great change this made in his life? Nothing. He downplays it excessively. He says, I know a man in Christ, verse 2, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Again, he's kind of making fun of his opponents. This is the sort of stuff that they would make a big deal of. I was bodily taken to heaven, to paradise itself. And they would make a, they would make a big deal of this. And he's downplaying. He said, I don't even know. I don't even care. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own half I will my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So here's Paul's third ministry boast. Just as at the beginning of his ministry, he demonstrated really low character. Now here at the high point of his ministry, he doesn't walk away with, this, with, with all of a sudden this sense of blessing on everything he does. He doesn't walk away with this like unstoppable power for ministry. He walks away with a thorn in the flesh, with a messenger of Satan. So again, Paul's saying, hey, I too have had a great revelation from God. And now I have a debilitating physical ailment that God will not heal. And I think you should listen to me. Right? No, no, no. We want to listen to the people who had debilitating physical ailments that God healed. Tell us about how God heals you. Tell us about how God can heal me. We don't want to hear about how you supposedly had this great vision and then you didn't get healed. So that's his third boast. He's a hot mess. We should listen to him. He's a man of low character. We should listen to him. And God apparently doesn't listen to his prayers. We should listen to this guy. This is Paul's pedigree. Right, so Paul, again, he's trying to show them and he wants them to know that he's a genuine apostle of Christ and that he's a superior servant of Jesus Christ. And his claim, his claim is that sufferings and weaknesses demonstrate this. Chapter 11, verse 30, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And again in chapter 12, verse 9, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. It's really interesting that the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they contain 40% of all the uses of the word boast, boasting language in the whole Bible, and also 40% of all the uses of weak and weakness and weaknesses in the whole Bible. Now this was a unique culture, a culture dedicated to social climbing, a, a culture dedicated to finding out what's better, what's best, and how can I get there. Who do I have to move a little closer to? What do I need to start wearing? What do I need to start listening to? What do I need to start learning so that I can access the higher realms of society? 
And Paul's boasting, his, his measuring of values here is completely upside down. Right? He doesn't say anything about results. He doesn't say about how many churches he's planted, how many people he's baptized, how many conversions, how many uh, you know, schools he's started, how many ministries are now be his grandchildren churches. He doesn't talk about any of that stuff. He talks about his sufferings and his weaknesses only. So is this true though, right? Is this true? This is very strange. But this is powerful and true. And here, look with me at chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Here's where we'll be for the rest of our time. This is kind of the the closing, the, the, the climax of the book, the climax of this section where Paul explains his logic. Chapter 12, verse 9, Jesus said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. My grace will make sure that you get to see what you actually want to see happen. That what you want to see, Paul, that more people meeting Jesus, my grace will make sure that what you want to see happen happens even better. It's sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus says, because actually my power and glory is better seen against your weaknesses, not your strength. Your weaknesses, not your strength. And this is the key thing. We want to see God's power and glory displayed in our lives, right? We all want to see God's power and glory displayed in our lives. We want our loved ones and our friends and family and and strangers to meet Jesus and know eternal life on account of our presence in their lives. And so what we do is we hide our weakness and our pain. We hide the things about ourselves that are unbecoming, the things that might embarrass us, the things that that we think are not going to make Jesus look better. And so then we try to appear strong and we try to appear glorious for Jesus' sake to these people. We try to act like we have it all together and we're making all the right decisions and Jesus can help. But Jesus is explaining to Paul here, if you want to see God's power and glory displayed, God does that through our weaknesses. God does it through our weaknesses exactly the way that he did it with Jesus. Exactly the way he did it with Jesus in the cross. Right? Jesus is the greatest revelation, the greatest display of God's power and glory. And he was not kingly. He was not royal. He was not rich. He was not handsome. He was not powerful in the ways that the world measure those things. He went about his life humbly serving people in a backwater province of an ancient empire. And then his greatest display of glory was, of course, not when he slew all his enemies with the sword coming out of his mouth, but when he was taken by his enemies to die on the cross for the sake of the sins of sinners. That was the greatest display of God's glory in human history. And so naturally, therefore, it would make sense that that's the way of God. This is the way of Christ and His cross. This is the way of Christ and His apostles and His servants. This is the way of the gospel. So this is what Jesus tells Paul. And so in verse 9, the second half, Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. I will happily talk freely about the things that are going to seem to weaken my social standing because what I really want to see is Christ's work in powerful ways. 
That last phrase in verse 9 where he says, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That word rest is a really interesting word. It's actually the word that, that we see in John chapter 1 verse, verse 14 where it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's the word that's used in the Old Testament for uh, the tabernacle. When setting up the tabernacle for God's glory to come and be present on earth among his people. It's the word that's used of the tabernacle in Exodus, the word that's used of Jesus and his ministry in John. And now Paul is saying, when I'm weak, that Shekinah glory, that great power descends and rests upon me and is now able to be seen by others. And so verse 10, Paul says, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. How do you feel about those things? Would you be content if some more weaknesses entered your life? When's the last time you were genuinely insulted? Would you like more of that? Would you be content with more hardships? You got some hardships? Would you like some more? Persecutions? Calamities? <laughs> I'm content. Paul says, I'm content for the sake of Christ so that his glory is seen more. And Paul says, look at the end. I'm content for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul's content for his own sake. Paul wants his ministry to be stronger, and it is this way. Right? Do you want a stronger ministry? Do you want uh, to be more effective serving Jesus and, and telling people in your life about his love? We want stronger ministry, more effective, more impactful. And right, and God wants that for us. God wants us to be strong. He wants us to be strong in Christ. He wants our witness to be effective. He wants that for you. But it will be measured by the weaknesses that we are willing to put in Christ's hands for Him to use. That will be the measure of your strength. When are we strong? We are strong when we take our weaknesses and we put them in the hands of Jesus Christ to use. In other words, it is precisely the things that we do our best to hide. The stories of our mistakes. You ever get in that, that, uh, that, that one-upmanship circle or is that just a guy thing? Right, where somebody tells a story and then, well, that's a good story, but I've got one that's 5% better. And he tells his, and then, well, that's a good story, but I've got one that's 10% better, but it's a little bit, you know, and it, and it just kind of keeps going around, and you're just like watching this little cyclone of, of, of pride and boastfulness. Now, what if somebody's like, hey, that was a great story, that story of how, you know, you figure that problem out, and then, and then your boss congratulated you. Let me tell you a story about this time where I, don't, I, I got fired because all of a sudden what happens, right? Wah, wah, wah. Nobody, every, it just kills everything. The things that we try to hide, the stories of our mistakes, things that are not going to improve your social standing. Right? We, have, we have very sophisticated ways of just interjecting little details about ourselves that we know are going to plug some holes in people's ideas of us so that they like us more. We know how to be quiet when we need to be quiet and what to say when we need to say something so that people like us. Those things that we hide, though, those are the places that Jesus shines from. Do you hear this morning, do you have mistakes in your life that you're not happy about? Wounds that don't seem to heal? 
accidents that have come upon you, hardships that you're enduring, limitations and, and continual struggles in your life, if you have those, then you have all of the things that we know Christ works through. And I know you, you have all those things. We have all of the things that Christ works through. God powerfully displays His glory using weak, inferior-seeming servants who work with contentment for Christ. Right? That was the question I asked at the beginning. Does God use strong, gifted leaders with ambition and drive? And Paul's saying God uses weak, inferior-seeming servants who work with contentment for Christ. So I want to conclude this morning by giving you just five, five quick tips for how to be a spiritual superperson, according to Paul. First of all, be weak. Be weak. Suffer. Have uh, calamities and persecutions and insults. You got those? Good. Check. Good job, everybody. You're doing great so far. You are weak. Second, look dumb. Look dumb. What that means is be willing to expose your vulnerabilities for the sake of Jesus. Okay, nobody just wants you blabbing your toxicity all over them all the time, right? But I'm saying that in the name of Jesus, when you're sharing about what He has done for you, be willing to be vulnerable. Right? If, if the people in our lives get the impression that Jesus loves us because we're so lovable, they're getting the wrong impression. Right? If everybody in your life thinks that you're just swell, and of course you're religious, and of course God likes you, and of course you got forgiven your sins because you didn't have that many. If that's the impression that they get from us, they're getting the wrong impression. They're not seeing Jesus clearly. And that is because we're sitting on the power button. Be weak, look dumb, work contentedly. Are you content with this situation? Work contentedly for the gospel despite weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. You know, what marks a real servant of Jesus Christ? I think two things. Scars and contented faithfulness. Do you have scars? Good. Are you content and faithful in serving the Lord. Alright. I'm weak. I look dumb. I'm working contentedly. And then I look to Christ. And I look to Christ in His power. If you abide in Me, you will bear much fruit. John 15.5 Look to Christ in His power and you're done. Christ will be powerful through you. The power and glory of God in Christ will rest upon you and God will be glorified in you because God displays powerfully His glory using weak, inferior-seeming servants who work with contentment for Jesus. As I was thinking about this passage, I, I kept trying to figure out whether this was a sermon about, and this is a passage about being careful who we follow. Because that's clearly what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I'm a better servant of Christ than these guys. So don't follow them, do follow me. 
Or is it a sermon about, is it a passage about how we think about the Christian life? How we think about our own usefulness as servants of Jesus? And I think it's both things because they're both operating from the same value system. Paul wants to say, first of all, follow people who serve Christ with contentment despite them not appearing to be ideal. Follow people who serve Christ with contentment despite the fact that they don't seem to be ideal. They don't embody the power and glory of the world. They don't, they're not, they're, they're, their path is not marked with successes at every turn. They don't appear on any magazine covers. Follow people who serve with contentment despite not appearing to be ideal. And then, for you and me, let's serve Christ with contentment despite the fact that we don't feel like we're ideal. You and I don't feel like we are ideal. We're not these powerful, gifted, hard-driving leaders. We've got weaknesses. And we've got insults banging around in our mind that we can't shake. And a sense of persecution and calamities and hardships and troubles that have come into our lives. So Paul is trying to change what we consider to be ideal. So that our ideals and we look a lot more like Jesus so that other people will see Jesus more clearly through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this word, for this passage. Because while there's a lot in it that's very challenging, there's also a lot in it that's very hope-giving. For Lord, as you know, we are a weak people. And though we, like everyone, are not, we're not comfortable with our weaknesses and we're not comfortable with the hard parts of our stories, and we, like everybody, try to hide those things. Yet we have these troubles in abundance. We have the very things that Jesus loves to work through, that he loves to settle his power upon, that the Spirit of Jesus loves to visit and use. And Lord, as we prayed earlier, and as you know, our heart's prayer is to, to see to seek the kingdom and your righteousness. To see the word of the Lord run and be glorified. To see our loved ones, our friends and neighbors, our co-workers, our employees and our clients, and even our not-so-loved ones. To see all these people meet Jesus and know the one true God and have eternal life and the power of the Spirit in their lives. That's what we long for. And so, Lord, would you help us to be content and to be so much more glad to boast of our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us for his sake and so that while we are weak, then we may be strong in you. Let's just take a moment right now and think of some folks in your life 
who need to know the Lord or who you would like to see need to know the Lord better and just pray for them briefly and perhaps as well take a moment to to submit your weaknesses yourself to the Lord let him know that he is he's able to use you in your life however he sees fit just take a moment to pray quietly in your heart and then we'll pray together we'll finish our prayer together So, Lord, hear our prayers this morning. Please work through us, and please work for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.